Money FM 89.3, best of prime time. In the spotlight on Money FM 89.3. You're listening to Prime Time on Money FM 89.3. I'm Rachel Kelly with Melissa Hyuk. And now it's time to catch up with our friends from the BBC to find out more about the headlines they're watching in the week ahead. And today we're joined by Robert Hugh Jones, editor at the BBC. Hello, Robert. Hi, Beth. Yeah, hi. Well, this Thursday, um, January 20th, marks one year since Joe Biden took office in America as president. How does he look, Rob, after a, a first year in power? Yes, well, he was uh, inaugurated a year ago. Remember him standing on the Capitol steps, mm. uh, and uh, Kamala Harris, of course, is vice president near him. And he was—he became the 46th president of the United States with the usual four-year term. And of course, he'd had half a century in public life before that as a kind of dealmaker, negotiator in. Washington, so had an enormous amount of experience. So there's a, a questions now looking back on that first year and saying, well, how did he do? And if you look at it, you, you see that, you know, he passed a COVID-19 relief package. So Americans received a check in the post to try and cope with the challenges mm-hmm. presented by the pandemic. Uh, he rolled out vaccines to some, you know, 200 million Americans and, and is credited with that and an infrastructure stimulus law as well that was uh, worth a trillion. But then, but then when you look at the lows, um, of course, he was responsible for the chaotic withdrawal of U.S. forces from Afghanistan that ceded the country to the Taliban. When you look at uh, the U.S. right now, you see inflation has risen really quite dramatically to about 7%, and that bothers a lot of people, rising prices. And the supply chain crisis that other countries around the world are suffering, the U.S. is also suffering. Um, Talking to a colleague in Washington, D.C., you know, he says his local supermarket shelves lack various products. There's a sign in one of them saying no Pepsi, for example, and they simply because they can't find the people to drive the trucks to actually move the product around. So even though the economic indicators in America are quite good at the moment, Mm -hmm. stock market doing okay, unemployment's low, perception is that people aren't as well off as they were when Biden came to power. I think that's fair to say. In terms of foreign policy? Well, yes, foreign policy is a big one. Um, You know, I think everyone would 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 look to Afghanistan and say that Mm. is the key foreign policy challenge that Biden faced. And he didn't handle it very well. That's the general perception if you look at polls in the U.S. amongst uh, Americans. Also, you know, on the subject of Ukraine, Biden took a military option pretty well off the table with Ukraine, with Russia and Ukraine, um, saying that Russia would face economic sanctions and so on if it dared to invade Ukraine again. And some people thought that was uh, a, a fairly weak posture to adopt with Russia. But, you know, there's a, it's a fairly checkered, I think, on the, on the foreign front as well. And then back in America, you know, he, he's been pushing this Build Back Better mm-hmm. economic plan that began as a $4 trillion proposal and is now, you know, is now back to $1.7 trillion and has got caught up in the kind of quicksand of the legislative process, along with stuff like reforming the voting laws and so on. So I think when you look back on the year, the general perception of Biden amongst Americans is that he's likable, uh, you know, they, they like him as a person, but I think they, they feel that his first year is a little bit checkered. And, of course, he's facing midterm elections in November, a good chance of losing the House of Representatives, the lower house, uh, a bit rosier, a bit better prospects in the Senate, where it's 50-50, and Kamala Harris has the casting vote. But but really, when you look, we look at Obama and Trump, they enacted their 
big legislation in the first or second year of their administrations, and then they suffered in the midterms and were weaker after that. And quite a lot of commentators think that Biden could go the same way. Well, we have other big stories to look into, but I really want to ask you this question about Joe Biden. How would you rate his performance in his handling of U.S.-China relations? U.S.-China relations? Well, it's um, interesting that he's been pushing democracy, hasn't he? He's been pushing the democratic system and the merits of that system in a world where, you know, countries that are less democratic and perhaps more autocratic, to use his phraseology, are pushing their own systems. And there is this sort of uh, tussle at the moment, you know, is Western-style democracy an effective means of government? Uh, or is it better to have a more perhaps autocratic or unitary means of governing your country? Will you get more done? And so on. And I think the jury's out on that. But it's interesting to see that Biden is pressing those buttons quite a lot. He's, he's voicing the, the, the credentials of democracies, of strong democracies, both at home and abroad, and has been doing so since he came to power. And so one year on then, Rob, how are Biden's ratings well, it depends on what you look at, mm. but the, uh, the, I think the popularity rating was about 44% the last time I looked. It was a load higher when he first came in. I think it was, it was way up in the 60s somewhere. And so I think that's why I think Americans sort of, they like him. They think his uh, motives are the right ones. But they find, I, I noticed in one poll, you know, a number of people d- thought that described him as distracted. Uh, distracted by some of his big legislative plans and less focused on the day-to-day. You know, are they feeling better economically? Do they feel safer economically? Are things kind of happening for them? You know, are the supply lines working? Is there food on the shelves in their local supermarkets? Mm -hmm. This is actually what really matters to many, many Americans. And they sometimes feel that maybe Biden is kind of looking elsewhere. We're speaking with Rob Hugh-Jones, editor at the BBC. Now shifting our focus to Germany because there's an interesting court case this week, Rob. It's about justice for the victims of torture and ill-treatment in Syria. Can you tell us what's happening? That's right. So this week we have a verdict in a case Uh, It's being held in Koblenz, the city of Koblenz, which is on the Rhine in Germany. And it uh, revolves around a Syrian doctor who is accused of crimes against humanity back in Syria in 2010-2011 when the civil conflict got underway there in the wake of the Arab Spring. But what makes it interesting is that this case is happening in Germany, not in Syria. And it follows another big case last week that involved a former Syrian colonel who was given a life sentence for torture and crimes against humanity back in Syria. So what's really going on here, Melissa, is that you will remember, and your listeners will remember, Angela Merkel, when she was chancellor, threw open the doors in Germany and and said to Syrians in the wake of their civil conflict, come to us, we will let you in, we will give you citizenship. Mm -hmm. And about a million did, you know, nearly a million people did, and it was very controversial at the time and thereafter. Um, And, of course, a lot of those people brought horrifying stories with them about how they'd been treated, particularly at the hands of the state in Syria. And so what happened was human rights lawyers in Germany picked up on some of these cases and decided to use a principle called universal justice to bring some of them to court. And what that really means, this principle of universal jurisdiction, is that serious crimes committed in one country can be tried 
elsewhere. And that's what's going on in Germany. And that's what makes these cases really very significant. What kind of muscle would a verdict in this case in Germany have in bringing those people to justice? Well, if, if, if these people are given life sentences and so on, people can see that people who commit crimes against humanity and so on simply can't evade justice wherever they go internationally that's that's what's that's what's really behind this so uh the course we the court we ha- the uh, court case we had last week was actually the world's first criminal case brought over state-led torture in syria so basically the court in germany was acknowledging for the first time that crimes against humanity were perpetrated by the regime of President Bashar al-Assad against its own citizens. And again, this idea of universal jurisdiction was invoked. So these are quite significant. They call them landmark cases. Mm -hmm. And what they really show is if you're a Syrian and you've got out and you've sought um, asylum in places like Germany, uh, you're not free, you're not outside the realms of international law. Staying in Europe now, Rob, but shifting gears to a slightly different angle in France. We've got France gearing up for a presidential election later this year, and things are starting to heat up now ahead of that vote. What's going on? Yes, that's right. So when you when you look at the diaries and you see, you know, what are, what are coming up in various different countries, in France there's lots of press conferences and rallies and so on by different characters who are going to run in the elections which come up in April. So the first round of voting is April the 10th, the second mm-hmm. round April the 24th. Seems like quite a long way away, but actually electioneering is really gearing up now in France. So we see, for example, Marine Le Pen, uh, who was head of the National Front, or the far-right National Front. It's now called the National Rally. This will be her third attempt at the presidency. And, of course, the incumbent is Emmanuel Macron, President Emmanuel Macron, who came in in 2017 and will, will rerun for the presidency. If he gets re-elected, he'll be the first French president to do so in 20 years. But he is facing a whole cast of different people. So I mentioned Marine Le Pen, but there's also someone called Eric Zemmour, who is a populist, very much in the, in the sort of mold of Donald Trump, very anti-immigration in his case, and anti-Islam, and he has a fair amount of support. Uh, The centre-right, which is kind of where Macron is, uh, there is a competitor called Valérie Pécresse, who heads up a party that really could give Macron quite a run for his money in these elections, so she's considered a a very solid um, opponent. And then on the left, we have someone called Jean-Luc Mélenchon, uh, who held a rally in the city of Nantes on Saturday. Uh, he's on the hard left, and he may actually split the leftist vote. But all of these people are chiming in now with rallies and press conferences and all the rest of it. And what's interesting is that when Macron comes out and makes belligerent comments about the unvaccinated, saying he's going to make life more difficult for them, i.e. really pushing the idea that the French should get vaccinated in the pandemic. Um, Instead of just saying these things into a vacuum now, he he gets a kind of torrent of reaction from all these different opposition figures, which really tells you that we are in election season now in France. Thank you so much for that report, Robert Hugh Jones, editor at the BBC. Thanks so much. Thank you. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.